0: Welcome to the Matterhorn Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Waller. Here, we have conversations about cultural studies, the arts, and writing. If you want to sign up to my Substack newsletter for free, just click on the link in this homepage. So this is one of my short takes where I talk about texts I've encountered recently. Uh, Just last night, I watched a film called Barbarian Sound Studio from 2012, and it's currently streaming on MUBI, Um, I don't know if you know about the streaming um, site, but they've got a lot of indie and foreign films. Um, You should definitely check it out if you don't know about it. Um, So the film was written and directed by auteur Peter Strickland. Uh, He did The Duke of Burgundy, which you might know. That's a really beautiful film as well. And this one stars Toby Jones, um, who you may know from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or The Hunger Games. He's been in loads of stuff in smaller parts as well, um, it's the film is about Gilderoy. This is Toby Jones character. He's a British sound engineer, and he goes to work on a film in an Italian film studio that he thinks is about horses, um, but it turns out to be this kind of horror film, which I'll talk about more in a minute. Um, and so, of course, it's part of this kind of meta cinema or metafilm subgenre. Um, but specifically on sound and I guess, um, the artist from a few years ago, although it's, it's also about the history of cinema, it, it does look at sound, but in a really different way. It's more about, um, going from silent cinema to having people talking on screen. Um, it's looking at something very different. You've got other meta cinema films like Fellini's eight and a half, Tim Burton's Ed Wood. I mean, there's a lot of them out there. Um, which are quite interesting just to think about our experience um, as an audience for film and what that act of creation means for it. So Gilderoy, the sound engineer, um, has a real fixation, I would say, on the mechanical workings of sound, as does the viewer ourselves when we see this film um, because of the cinematography Our eyes linger on microphones, on headphones, on cords, on plugging things in and turning knobs, on wheels churning, on mixer buttons. It's really a tactile experience. And then the things making the sounds themselves, um, besides women screaming, which we see a lot of, um, are things like smashed watermelons. Uh, instead of bodies, of course, um, and blenders instead of chainsaws, or we've got knives, we've got bottles, we've got lots of things making the sounds, and it's all a very tactile experience. Now, um, the the setting of this film is the 1970s, so it will be a lot more tactile when we talk about sound engineering. Um, but even today, sound mixers and creators use a lot of these elements still in the studio besides digital effects. So it's not a totally archaic experience. Um, you know, it does relate to today. But the, the way that the film is recorded itself um, as a physical process without um, digitization or any digital backup is also important because um, although we think about the digital maybe as being more ephemeral, it's much easier to destroy or erase these old forms of recording. And this is something that happens um, during the film. So that's just kind of an interesting take on thinking about this act of creation and permanence and ephemerality um, that we encounter at one point in the film. But the, the tactile nature, I mean, I'm just really... I've found it really, really beautiful and really interesting to kind of think about the mechanics and what it means. Um, We might also think about this kind of movement in other things like printing presses. You know, I've encountered some printing presses over the years that were really beautiful um, where my brother used to be a journalist. Um, There was a huge printing press for the Boston Globe and it was really cool to see in action. And then Um, When I I published something at Hatchet, my publisher, Soshan, she showed me the old printing press um, in their building, which um, was no longer in use, but was really beautiful to look at. And so even if we just think about sound, the... The Even just the microphone, right? So the microphone I'm using right now. My four-year-old son saw me using it yesterday, and he was really fascinated by it. He kind of came over and pretended to speak into it and make his own podcast, uh, which I thought was quite funny and cute. So we recorded our own, and he really wanted to touch the buttons. I mean, if you've worked with kids or have kids, you may have seen that they really just love to press the buttons and see what it will do. So, so why do we like to do this? Does it make something feel more real? Maybe is it more because, um, we want to have a kind of like action and consequence? Um, I'm not sure, but it was interesting also to look at, at the garage band aspect of our little mini podcast recording with him because he was really fascinated by the, the way that you could actually see the sound on screen. So, even when we go digital, we can still visually see, maybe even more so, a lot of sound qualities um, right there in front of us and kind of maybe reimagine um, the meaning of that sound. So, going back to the film itself, um, you know, we're in this Italian film studio and it's specifically stated not to be horror by this fictional director Santini, who calls um, the film part of the giallo genre from the 1970s in Italy, which was had a lot of violence and he says that well, violence is part of the human condition, so it's not horror. this is just part of who we are, which I thought was an interesting distinction. Um, these films also typically had a lot of sex, they go into the supernatural sometimes witchcraft. Um, so a really kind of interesting spot for our, our British protagonist to, to arrive at, who thought he was going to do a film about horses. Um, he also doesn't speak Italian. So we've got a lot of scenes that are in both English and Italian going back and forth. A lot of times characters are speaking Italian in front of him and excluding him in ways that form a different kind of power structure. Um, And then he ends up speaking Italian through this kind of dream sequence. He imagines himself kind of at once entering the film or other times just becoming this Italian-speaking character that fluently speaks Italian with the producer. Um, And of course, it blends the idea of reality and fiction, but it also makes us question how he's being affected by um, this whole production sequence, even though all of his work is in this in this sound studio. Um, you know, it's not in the space where people are acting out, um, murder scenes or anything like that. It's simply the sound itself. So the relationship with Santini also has, um, has, uh, an interesting, um, patriarchal power, um, aspect to it. And Santini is, is quite misogynistic as well. Um, he shows dominance over the women who come to work on the film. Um, even worse than dominance at times, like moving into the abuse area, and there's also this element of culture creating um, a power struggle where Gilderoy, being on Italian soil in this Italian film studio, which is Santini Studio, so to speak, um, you know, he kind of takes takes ownership in that way, and the language of Italian itself seems to hold more power than English here because of that. There's also this uh, mise en abeam quality because of a screening of one of Gilderoy's earlier films, which is a nature documentary. So you can see that he is really interested in nature. You know, he wanted to work with horses. He wants to create something that's really beautiful for his audience, uh, maybe showing an appreciation for the beauty of nature. It's a huge contrast to what we see here, although Santini says that violence is also. also natural so I mean you could you could question that but the strange thing is that of course in the nature documentary as well you know Gilder is not just bringing his microphone out into the countryside he's creating these films in a studio just like he is here Um, so it makes us question um, things that we see on screen that we imagine are reality yeah And um, we also wonder, has he been changed forever or just in the space of this film studio that he's trying to continuously just escape from? So overall, for me, the most interesting feature is that these great extents to create realistic sound are paradoxically not real at all. Yes, they come from the real world, but it is sound art that imitates life. Um, almost one could say trying to make it sound more real. So you kind of move in a circle here between real and art um, and the purpose of it. So it then makes me think of the famous Oscar Wilde quote from The Decay of of Lying. Um, In that Socratic dialogue between Cyril and Vivian, these are characters named after his children, Vivian says paradox though it may seem and paradoxes are always dangerous things it is nonetheless true that life imitates art far more than art imitates life gilderoy's life or his interpretation of it seems to change due to the film he's creating or perhaps it changes the way he views those around him his art creates a new reality for the audience to enter his response makes us question how their viewing will impact their own lives Thanks so much for listening to today's short take on the Matterhorn. You can check out the episode page for some links from today as well as a link to my Substack page where you can get all my updates and join our community. Be well, everyone.